Welcome back to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. Now, whether you're listening to this on a Friday morning or a Saturday, maybe Sunday, I can ensure you this, there's nothing like a Wednesday night Bible study at LCC. I hope you enjoy the podcast. So, last time we talked about Adam and Eve in the, in the fall of humanity, right? Um... We talked about how Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. Um, We talked about how they had to live with the consequences of their sin. Um, But they still had the assurance that God was still with them. Because even before they left the garden, remember, he made the first sacrifice and uh, gave them uh, the skin for clothing. Um, And if you'll remember... Uh, Do you remember what uh, Eve's first name was? Woman. 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 Uh Isha. Woman. And then, uh, and I don't know if it was when she learned she was pregnant. Uh, I don't know. But Adam renamed her and named her Chava. Chava. Uh C-H-A-V-A-H. And that's what it was in Hebrew. Chava. Um, do you want me to spell it again? Okay. Uh, do you know that Eve was never her name? It got stuck there. It was Latin. And so when they were translating the Bible from Hebrew into Latin, um, they changed it to Eve, which means source of life. Uh, Chava means life giver. Um, and it kind of got stuck. And so no one knows her as Adam and Chava, do they? Yeah, no. You say that and you're like, who are you? And what are you talking about, right? Um, But that was her name. So um, we have to, I'm kind of going by my notes too. We have to realize that being outside of the garden, life was a very harsh contrast to what they had known. Because when they were in the garden, God took care of every need, physically, spiritually, emotionally, every single need. He walked with them in the cool of the day. Um, It was awesome. I can't imagine. That would be so. (laughs) Yeah. And so then they're outside of the garden. Uh, God gives them resources, but they're going to have to use it every day of their lives. Right? And it was hard. And they had to choose. Uh-huh. And then, then they had to choose. And at this point, um, they're not living in luxury and finery, which is what Eden meant. They are living in uh, harsh realities. Uh, consequences of sin. Because um, their eyes had been opened, but not in a good way. They had lost innocence. Okay, so if you'll remember at the end of last time, one of the most significant verses that we looked at was Genesis 3.15. And in Genesis 3.15, that's the first messianic prophecy of all the Bible. And so if you want to, somebody uh, just read that. 
know of hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. You will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And who was that given to? Yeah. No. That Satan. Satan. Uh-huh, the serpent. Is who got the first prophecy, and so isn't that's, that's ironic. I know it is, isn't it? And so Adam and Eve knew that there would be a rescuer. Now they had no idea timing at all, and so then all of a sudden she's pregnant and she's having offspring, and so the question comes up to them: Could this be their savior? Does this be their redeemer? Not their right. rescuer? Mm-hmm. Well, but they didn't know. I know. And so, there's their question. And that's where we start this lesson. <laughs> yeah. Okay, when we, when we first started with 15, mm-hmm. it's God speaking to, to the serpent. To the serpent. And he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, got that, mm-hmm. and between your offspring and her offspring. Mm-hmm. So who is the offspring of Satan? And if one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, is um, that's exactly what he does. We'll talk about that next time. Because uh, next time we'll talk about um, before the flood and uh, getting to Noah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'll be the thing. Kind of hate to. I'm waiting on Lisa. Oh, N E P H I L I M. And what that literally means is fallen ones. And don't you consider offspring from Satan? Mm-hmm. Well, they were fallen angels. Yes, because uh, you know he was a fallen angel. Um, one of the things, and we could we can talk about it even right now. What Nephilim are? They are the offspring between fallen angels and human women. It says that they were mighty men of renown. Um, they're sons of God. And the words that are used there is Beni uh, Elohim. And so that's only used for those who came directly from God at that time. They were they were fallen angels, uh, and each angel was an individual creation. Angels cannot uh, have uh, children; they don't procreate, and so uh, for them to have children, they had to mix with human women. So good. I'm not like, was it consensual? <laughs> well, it says that they, they took them, they took whatever wives they wanted, okay. is what it says. Yeah. And that's in Genesis 6, <laughs> verses 1 through 4, is where you'll find it. So could the Nephilim be like demigods? You know what? Okay, let me get into this because we'll get into it next time, too. Okay. But most, remember last week we even talked about Pandora, mm-hmm. you know, and Eve, you know, and how the stories, um, 
Pandora came from Eve. Um, it is said that a lot of uh, mythology, especially of things that were half human, half animal, half whatever, um, is reminiscent of pre-flood from the Nephilim. You know, because they came, those stories came from something. Uh, it just is not all accurate. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So let's jump in. Let's look at Genesis 4, verses 1 and 2. And not even the whole second verse. So uh, somebody read Genesis 4, 1 through uh, where it talks about Abel on, in verse 2. Now Adam had slept with his wife, and she conceived and bore a son named Cain. She said, By the grace of Yahweh, I have birthed a man. Then later she gave birth to Cain's brother Abel. Okay, that's it. All right, so look at this. Hi. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you look by the grace of Yahweh, I've birthed the man. It's interesting because um, now in most translations, it'll say Lord and it'll be all capital letters, Lord. Uh, and every time you see all capital letters, it's Yahweh in Hebrew, always. And if it's just a capital L and then lowercase letters, then it would be Adonai. And so this is actually Yahweh. It's the first time that uh, someone speaks his name. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's interesting. That would be Eve, and it speaks of the intimacy that they had in the garden. Mm -hmm. So if it's a capital L and a smaller case, it's Adam I. Adam and I. Uh huh. I need to just answer the question I had this week. I can remember that. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, the word, remember how last time we talked about there are several different names? for uh, man, Hebrew words for man. And, uh, you know, Adam actually is a name of a man. Uh, do y'all remember what that is? Humanity. Yeah, it just meant he was human. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean male. Uh, Ish, he was male. Uh, Isha was woman. Uh, but then here it says, by the grace of Yahweh, I have birthed a man. Ish. That's the word that's used there. All right. So, okay. This is where it gets interesting. When you are getting the Hebrew, then it really means so much more. Uh, apparently, Eve believed that Cain was their promised deliverer. She's not knowing time that it's going to be thousands of years. So when she becomes pregnant, she's like, well, this must be him. And when it's a male, she's like, well, there it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so she names him Cain. Um, so Cain's name in Hebrew uh, is Kana. And it comes from a Hebrew word meaning Kana. And it means to create Kana. Uh, it would be uh, Q. 
A-N-A-H. Kana. Q-A, not Q-U. Q-A-N-A-H. All right. Um, so what Cain means is to create, to buy, to attain, possess, but here's the, the clinchers, to recover mm. and to redeem. So they're naming him like he is what, yeah, he's the promise keeper, right? And then you have Abel. Hmm. Poor Abel. So his Hebrew name is Habel. Actually, if you say it right in Hebrew, it would be Havel. Uh, no, not this isn't a, a, a het. So, yeah, it's a hay. <laughs> so uh, H-E-V-E-L. And so here's, it comes from the word meaning vapor, breath, emptiness, vanity, something transitory um, and unsatisfactory. We don't know why he was named all that. Maybe he had a birthday bug. I have no idea. But it seems what's going on is that Cain was thought to be the one. And then Abel was just not needed. Well, yeah. And so when you're looking at this, look at how it's described in verse 2. Then later she gave birth to Cain's brother, Abel. So it's telling you even more what's actually the attitude of what's going on. So it's actually very sad. So what you're seeing here is Adam and Eve favored Cain because they believed that he was a redeemer. He was going to be the one to crush the head of the serpent and recover their place in the garden. Right? That's what's going on. And uh, they uh, also named Abel according to how they felt about their circumstances after leaving the garden. Um, yeah, it, it, it was their fault. Yeah. <laughs> no, not Abel. Abel is the innocent one throughout all of this. So when you're going to Genesis, let's go back and uh, just get more of this. But keep in mind, Cain is the favored one. And you're going to see that, how it actually affects the rest of the story. Being the favored throughout the whole Bible and a lot of cultures, even now, mm -hmm. the first one is favored unless it's a female. True. So, I mean, mm -hmm. things haven't changed a whole lot. True. <laughs> True. Okay. So, somebody read Genesis 4 2 through um, 7. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground, which is God's original. Nothing wrong with either one of them doing that. Uh, when it came time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lands from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. 
but he did not accept pain in his gift. This made Cain very angry and looked, looked, and he looked dejected. So why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, and you must subdue it and be its master. Okay. Now we know that God had already demonstrated to Adam and Eve, what it took for them to come into his presence. Mm -hmm. Even before they left the garden, he had already initiated the first sacrifice. And according to Jewish understanding, um, they saw that as that. And then they named Adam the first priest because God had demonstrated to him what it took. Mm -hmm. We know that uh, this was an understanding because you have Abel, doing the very same thing. You have Noah doing that after the flood. And then you have Abraham giving uh, sacrifices to the Lord. And that was all before God gave formal instruction to Moses in the law. So this was something that was demonstrated, right? Um, This is something uh, that actually Jack Kelly wrote and I thought was really good. By offering the firstborn from his flock, Abel illustrated the concept of innocent blood shed for the remission of sin. Again, a model of the Messiah. Cain brought the works of his own hands an offering of thanksgiving because the Lord remembered Cain, uh, I'm sorry, because the Lord reminded Cain to do what is right. It's clear he had instructed him on this, the sin offering and act of confession purifies us and permits us re-entry into the presence of God. Only then will our offerings of praise and thanksgiving be acceptable. God did not show favoritism. He never does. That is what is said over and over and over throughout all of scripture. So God readily accepts Abel's sacrifice, which was probably a really big deal to Abel because he had not had that. Cain, on the other hand, he was not used to not being favored, and he was not in this. If you look at what Abel brought, he brought the finest of the firstborn of his flocks, which was exactly what God called for. We are not told that by Cain, about Cain, what he brought. So God, he comes to Cain and he tells him, if you approach me in the right way, if you offer what is right, won't you be accepted? Right? He's warning him. He's telling him, do this and you will be accepted, but he will not do it. And so what ends up happening, it, God tells him, if you refuse to offer what is right, sin, the predator, is crouching in wait outside the door of your heart. It desires to have you. Yes, but yet you must be its master. This statement is so important for us to understand. Cain had a choice to make. His sin was more purposeful than his parents' sin. They had been deceived. Cain was not. God even warned him, yet Cain acted out of his feelings of jealousy and anger. 
Satan was crouching at the door of Cain's heart, looking for any legal right Cain would give him. Satan had already taken Adam and Eve's innocence, immortality, and complete intimacy with God and their spiritual authority over the earth. They had lost so much more than they had ever realized they could. Surely they had warned Cain and Abel about Satan and his cunning ways. Now God is warning Cain that Satan is lying in wait for him, watching for any access to him to destroy him. Cain could have remedied this situation so easily by listening, but Cain didn't heed the warning. Instead, he let his temporary feelings rule him rather than him choosing to rule over them, and it led to his complete downfall. Cain offered God some of his crops. It doesn't say the best, it doesn't say the finest, the first, nothing. It doesn't right. say some of his crops. But yet crops are an acceptable sacrifice later for, on. For Thanksgiving, but not for uh, the covering of sin. If he had offered, say, his first fruits or the best, it had to be blood. Yeah, the model is has always been blood. Always wondering about that. Yeah. But if he was a farmer, how could he? He could have gotten. He could have bought the land. Okay. Uh, he could have. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he could have. He could have. Okay. So he was instructed that that was what he needed. Right, and and the and Lord even says, "If you will do what is right," meaning he knew what to do. I thought it was yeah. from his heart. Like, no. It would have been an acceptable gift, well, it but it was, was from, his, from his heart. It wasn't from his heart. Right. He, it was like, I'm doing this because I'm supposed to, not because I want to honor you. Yeah. And I wondered if it was because it was just any of his crop and not anything special or. No, apparently the model had been set. And uh, in the. Old Testament, what it will tell you is that the life is in the blood, and uh, it always is required blood. So when it says when it was time for the harvest, what do they mean by harvest? Okay, read the whole verse. It's verse 3. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift for the Lord. And then verse 4, Abel also brought a gift, the best of his firstborn lands from his flock. Oh, I've got a, I've got a quick note. Okay. Uh, and I'll tell you, there is nothing wrong with offering grain to the Lord. Leviticus and Deuteronomy both have it. But Cain brought only a token gift, some of his crops, not the best, not the first, whatever. Uh, whereas God requires the first and the best. Cain's heart attitude made his offering inferior to Abel's. I still think it doesn't it doesn't fit the model. It doesn't make it more clear. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make it clear. But it is clear that his heart wasn't right. Right. And we'll see that through the entire narrative. And it goes on about the, the best of the firstborn lands for the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. Abel was giving God the best animals and the richest parts. Abel's offering in contrast to Cain's was the best he had to offer. Worship is a 
right. Somebody read Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Okay. Now, in the Amplified Classic, what it says, uh, which I love what they put in here. When angry, do not sin. Do not even let your wrath, your exasperation, your fury or indignation last until the sun goes down. Leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. The fact is, he is still watching and waiting outside the door of our hearts. This is exactly what we see in 1 Peter 5, 8. So somebody read 1 Peter 5, 8. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Okay. That word there for devour is huge. It's katapino in the Greek, and it means to gulp entirely, and then it means to lick up the blood until there's nothing left. It means it's an absolute um, destruction. Now, the, the enemy's tactics haven't changed. In fact, studies have shown that there are four main doors uh, that the enemy usually will get in through. Lisa and I, yeah, we actually are. So the first one is anger and unforgiveness. The second is fear. The third is sexual sin. And the fourth is the occult. And when we get an open door, then he wreaks as much havoc as he is allowed. Uh, the third one, sexual sin. And then the occult. And we have control over that. Yes. Anger, unforgiveness, sexual sin, and occult. Mm -hmm. And she get fear. Yeah, yeah, fear. Well, it, 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 there's not a particular order. It doesn't have to be. Which one does fear go with? Oh, it's by itself. Oh, it's by itself. Mm -hmm. Where's forgive, unforgiveness? Is that with anger? With anger. Oh, my bad. <clears throat> All right. When we get an open door, then it wreaks as much havoc as uh, the enemy will allow, or well, as we will allow. Um, all of us have opened doors at various points. The thing is, is we need to know how to close them. Yeah. So here, here is actually, it came from out of my book, but it, it's a story from our family of what happened. My son, Timothy, had never had a problem with fear. As a young child, he would go upstairs alone in total darkness, lie down, and peacefully go to sleep. However, all that changed one day when he was 10. Another boy, plagued with fear, was bragging to him about the horror movies he and his family had been watching lately. He had not, uh, we had not allowed our children to watch these, but Timothy willingly chose to ask this boy to tell him about one of these movies. 
From that point, Timothy stopped sleeping peacefully and didn't want to be alone. In fact, it was so bad that my husband and I would be, uh, we would awake many nights over a period of months with him standing over us because he was afraid and our presence soothed him. We repeatedly asked him what was wrong. Finally, he told us about asking the boy about the movie. With greater clarity, we understood Timothy had opened a door for the enemy into his life. Armed with this understanding, my husband and I could pray effectively with him closing that door and making the demonic attachment leave. From that point, Timothy was back to himself, free and at peace. Timothy learned a valuable lesson. He learned not only do our choices have consequences, but they can also open doors to the enemy. The enemy cannot gain a foothold or entry point until we knowingly or unknowingly give him one. It's all about legality. Those doors can be closed later, but sadly, this is not taught enough, if at all. As a result, many of God's people are struggling, much like Timothy. However, now it's time to learn how to be free. That early lesson has served Timothy well. It has also helped his siblings by observation and by his testimony and the struggles an open door can cause and the freedom that comes when it's closed. Here is the simplest way to close that door or any of the doors in your life. <clears throat> First, you just ask God, God, do I have any of those doors open in my life? And then listen for his response. It is often the first thought that uh, that you have after asking. Because if you ask him, will he respond? Yeah. Um, if he says yes, then you ask him, where did that door open and how? Many times he will show you a memory of where the enemy first got the legal entry point into your life. Choose to forgive release, and finally bless the person or people that opened that door, including yourself. Next, ask God, what lies did I learn when that door first opened? Renounce and break agreement or ownership with those lies. Ask God, where's the truth? What is the truth? You're exchanging that lie you believe for God's truth for you. Be sure to declare the truth God gives you from a place of ownership over your life. Ask God if there are more people you need to forgive, including yourself. If so, continue this same process. Finally, when there is nothing left to keep any of the doors I mentioned earlier open, ask Jesus to help you close each door. Be sure to ask him to seal the doors closed with his blood and write the truths he gives you so you'll remember them. It's best to repeat those truths over yourself daily for 30 days, allowing them to take root in your heart. I realize this sounds like a formula, but these steps can change your life. All right. So Genesis, let's go back to that. Genesis 4, 8 through 12. As Abel was the second child born into the world, but the first one to obey God. All we know about this man is that his parents were Adam and Eve. He was a shepherd who presented pleasing offerings to God. 
His life was ended by the hands of his jealous older brother Cain. The Bible doesn't tell us why God liked Abel's gift and disliked Cain's, but both Cain and Abel knew what God expected. Only Abel obeyed. Throughout history, Abel is remembered for his obedience and faith. He is called righteous. Can you imagine Abel? He's the first one that's recorded. And I would imagine he's the first one to die. And so, um, remember the Old Testament saints who went to Abraham's bosom? He had been there so long, he could have been the Toriad. <laughs> I mean, wow. He has been the one that has been there and in heaven the longest, you know? Can you imagine? This is so crazy. I was listening to a podcast today, and it's just like a, it's a stand-up comedian guy, but he's like Christian-based. And they were talking about Abel being the first person to heaven or whatever. Uh, and just like hanging out with God. And then he was like, and then people just keep coming. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think the conversation started about like if you, <laughs> it's a funny time. But it's like if you get in a car wreck or something mm-hmm. and you immediately like die of the pain or whatever, when you get to heaven, do they tell you what happened? Or like, <laughs> and then it just know. like somehow got into Abel being the first guy there and all you know, alone. Can you imagine? Oh, I didn't think about it. Okay. And so more people were showing up. So he had God all to himself yeah. for a while. You know, and then it's like, oh, and there is all these other people. Yeah. They probably enjoyed having them. What is so funny to say maybe somebody there like tells you that was like watching or and some other guy was like, Well, I'd want to know so I could compare stories. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's called the net the net positive if you wanna check it out. Okay, so somebody read Genesis 4, 8 through 12. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out to the fields, and that while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. You know, okay, so first, if you're looking at the Hebrew words, um, do you remember what we talked about last time? What did Adam come from? He was Adam. He came from the ground, which was Adamah, right? Uh, is the Hebrew word. So if you're looking at this passage, it's, um, he said, listen, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the Adamah, from the ground. But then it says, and so you're going to be banished from the Adamah. So it's the very place where his blood is. And then he says uh, that he's going to have to go out into um, the the land, which is a different word, Eretz. Um, 
It was just interesting. And then what was it that he cultivated? He cultivated the Adama. And so that wasn't going to work for him anymore. And so it's just interesting. What is Eretz? Eretz is uh, land. Yeah, it, it's a different, like uh, if you go to Israel today, then they will call it Hot Eretz, the land. Um, he was supposed to be. But he, he, he didn't obey in that either. <laughs> All right. Yes, he does, doesn't he? Arrogant, yeah. Spoiled. Think about first grandparents. Mm. <laughs> All right. So look at this. It says, um, okay, was this a murder from a fit of passion? No, because no. what did he say to him? He said, let's go out into the field. And when they went out to the field, then he attacked him and killed him, right? Mm -hmm. And so what this is, is a premeditated murder. Totally, right. Yeah. And so um, he, had, he had had hatred. He had planned and uh, Abel was never the problem. Abel did what was right. The problem was Cain's rebelliousness. So Cain killed him. Yet Abel's name had been prophetic. His time on the earth truly had only been a vapor. Mm -hmm. He was transitory. Mm -hmm. um, from here to heaven. And Cain made sure that Abel's descendants were empty and vain. Notice God comes to Cain just as he had his parents asking a question he already knew the answer to, wanting the ones that he loved to run to him for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Instead, Adam and Eve hid from God, but Cain's response was much worse. Mm -hmm. Instead, he was arrogant and he said, well, how do I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Right? So keeper is the Hebrew word shamar. Uh, and it means watchman, guardian, and protector. Now, the fact that Cain was the older brother, uh, there is no doubt Adam and Eve, they had left the garden. They were having to work uh, the ground. They were having to do a lot of things. And so do you think that Cain ever had to watch over Abel, the younger brother? Yeah, most likely. Um, so... Let me show you something that's just interesting. So if you're looking at the Hebrew word for brother, <coughs> it is uh, ach. And it looks like that. That's ach. Is that a no, it's a, a pet. Oh, you know what? I made it a hair. It should be a, a pet. Now, the thing that's most interesting is look at paleo Hebrew with this. So you have the ox head, right? Which is olive. What does that mean? Leader, strong leader. All right, strong leader. Mainly strong, right? And what is chet? 
Especially that one part, although Abel is long dead. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. All right. Um, so for Cain, God pronounces the consequences that Cain will have as a result of his choice. Again, Satan has been watching and waiting for a way to destroy Cain. And Cain opened the door. However, it wasn't just Cain's heart that he was after. Here at the onset of the human race, Satan wanted to take as many of these made in the image of God down with him as he could. Also, God had to show humanity from the beginning that sin has consequences. God didn't come up with uh, boundaries and parameters to keep his children from things. He came up with them to protect them from things. Uh, he came up, I'm sorry, he came up with them to protect them so that they could be near him. He even initiated repentance to draw those who go against uh, these parameters uh, to have a way to come back to him. That was where the sacrifices came from that started the entire narrative. Yet throughout the entire account, we never see Cain repent. Later, he is upset because of how hard the consequences are, but didn't repent. This opened him up to all kinds of hardships the enemy would make sure that he would encounter. Because Cain had spilled his brother's blood on that land, he would be banished from it. God had banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden out of mercy. God didn't want them to eat of the tree of life in their state of sin, have children, and all of them eat of it and live forever that way. So God guarded it from them until they could be sinless again. That's not the case with Cain being banished. Cain would have to go face the consequences of his choice for life. All right, let's, so let's go back to Genesis 4. So somebody uh, read uh, 13 through 16. 
came to fly to the Lord. My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Okay. Lots of people on that. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Well, I'm actually about to get into that. Um, By the time Cain and Abel, they were grown, Adam and Eve had had several children. Because what it tells you is that they had other sons and daughters. It does not elaborate other than that. Uh, And then those sons and daughters could have had sons and daughters and sons and daughters and then spread out, right? Um, they actually have done studies and found that there could have been up to a half million people. Yeah. Well, they had very long <laughs> lifespans. <laughs> very long. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like Methuselah was the oldest. He was 969, but I think Adam was like 950. I mean, they're extremely long lifespans. So you can have a lot of children in that time. Probably was the first person to die, so it's probably one of you in the front. Abel. Abel. Yeah, Abel. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because he didn't live out his very, very long lifespan. We don't know how old he was, but uh, he didn't get that. Do you remember 900 years? Do you think they remember their entire life? They were intelligent. You know what? Well, they were much more intelligent than we are. Yeah. We didn't have to deal with Alzheimer's and stuff. <laughs> no. Well, there probably wasn't a whole lot going on. I mean, you got up, you worked, you ate, you slept. You got up, you worked. True. Now, okay, so first off, there's twice in this passage in verse 14 it says and now i must hide uh, hide from your presence god is speaking to him i must hide from your presence um yes and oh i'm sorry so cain is saying that from god do you know that there is no word for presence in the old testament you know, so many times people will say, oh, they want to get into the presence of God, or it's translated the presence of God. There is no Hebrew word for that. Um, the Hebrew word is panim. And uh, if you want to know how to spell it, it's P-A-N-I-Y-M. Panim. Mm-hmm. And what the word literally means is face. It's face. Actually, all that thing is, mm-hmm. you see his face, you will die. Well, there's... I know. <laughs> yeah. That's where... <laughs> yeah. And so the thing about it is, so, um, and now I must hide from your face would actually be what it was. And then down in 16, same thing. Then Cain left his face, the face of Yahweh, the instead of presence. How do you think Maybe because uh, they thought it was easier to understand. Because if you're in the presence of someone, um, you know, you're near them, 
But if you're before their face, it would be the same. It's easier to understand. Get out of my face. Don't get out of my presence. <laughs> <laughs> well, more is maybe a little nicer. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, and if they're translating it from the original and there was no word for presence, they had to come up with something. They had to come up with a word, yeah. And so <clears throat> they did. I see face is very physical and presence is abstract. Mm-hmm. The spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this wouldn't have been the spirit. Do you okay? Let me give you a preview of what we're going to be talking about in Hebrew, because we're actually talking about some of this. All right. Uh, so I've been researching more and more of this, and I have more research to do. But um, there are three words in Hebrew for face. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, because Hebrew is very specific. Yes, and each one of them is uh, focusing on a certain part of the face. And so panim is focusing on the mouth. Um, and, and the reason why is the word starts with a peh. And in ancient Hebrew, in the pictograph language, uh, peh looks like uh, like this, which is a mouth. It's an open mouth. <laughs> That's what pay always stands for. Um, and so it's where in most of the time when God see, when people see God face to face, like Moses, he spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Okay, what's he doing? Speaking. And so what they're doing is they're looking at his face in order to hear him speak. Right? Mm-hmm. Panim. And so that's the word that's used most in the Old Testament in Hebrew. Um, another one of the words, um, I don't remember what the word because I, I don't have this down. You know, it's I'm going from memory right now. But its focus is the nose. And when people are angry, their noses flare. <laughs> <laughs> And so that is, it's more focused on uh, the face of God being angry. Uh, And so then the other is ayin. And ayin literally means I in Hebrew. It's a letter, but ayin is A-Y-I-N. Ayin. And so, yes. And so uh, Ayin is being where you see him eye to eye. And that would be like um, when Jesus returns, we will see him eye to eye. Does that make sense? Yeah. So face can mean different things in Hebrew. Um, Look at verse 15. This is confusing to me. Um, somebody read verse 15 again. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills me. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. Alright, so what is this this sevenfold vengeance or this, what is your say again? Seven year sevenfold punishment. Sevenfold punishment. Yeah, read your footnote. 
Sevenfold punishment was the fullest weight of justice. Dean complained that his punishment was too great, but the full sentence would not fall on anyone who committed Cain's crime. Let's see. But the full sentence that would fall on anyone who committed Cain's crime against him shows how gracious the Lord was to Cain. Cain deserved death. The mark graciously provided protection following Cain's judgment. All right. Here's a footnote that's in the Passion Translation. And I'm like, hmm. I have no idea. I don't even know what this is. I'm not attempting to even understand because I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Um, but here's what it says. That is seven times over seven lives uh, will be taken to avenge Cain's death. Or it could mean seven generations will be avenged. The next murderer we find in scripture, we're going to see at the end of the chapter, is Lamech. Um, and he is the seventh generation from Cain. Huh. Mm. Jewish sages believe it was Lamech who killed his ancestor Cain. Well, I thought Cain committed suicide. No? What? No. <laughs> I mean, I just assumed. I don't yeah, know. No, no, no. You're thinking of that. You, you thought that, I thought he got. I thought he was so angry with himself he went and committed suicide. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I thought that. That, that was okay. Judas. Okay. He does give Judas. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. Lamech, he stands out in one of the meanest and worst. Well, we're we're going to talk about him in a little bit because he's one of Cain's descendants. Now you have to keep in mind there's two Lamechs. Okay, there's one in Seth's line, and he's the father of Noah. And then there's the one in Cain's line, who's a murderer himself. <laughs> so two different ones. And you have some of the same names according to what translation that you're in, too. So, but they're different people. All right. Um, <laughs> so God tells him that he's going to um, be a wanderer, right? A homeless wanderer and a fugitive. Well, think about what was the job? Do you remember uh, at my Hebrew people, especially? <laughs> Put you on the spot. Um, I start bringing that notebook. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes together, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, there was an avenger. Uh, it was also the redeemer, uh, the avenger of blood. So what was the story behind that? Do y'all remember? Someone killed your brother. You mm -hmm. had to go after that person and kill them uh, legally, and you were the mm -hmm. avenger of blood. Right. It was the next um, uh, nearest relative that was supposed to go and avenge the blood. Now, there were certain cities that were uh, cities of refuge. Uh, safe places. And the thing about those is um, they could go there, but only if they were, um, they had done it by accident. It could not be a premeditated murder. You know, now Cain, he's not meeting any of the criteria anyway. I mean, because this was premeditated, right? Um, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, and, and they're not even there yet anyway. Um, even though he completely does not deserve it, God has mercy. 
on him and he puts a distinguishing mark on him, right? We have no idea what it looked like, what it was, we don't know. And there's no sense in even trying to, to say this is what it was. Yeah, apparently they would know. Now, do you know, though, the word that is used, um, it's in what verse? Mark. Uh, well, it's Mark, but in, uh, in verse 15, in uh, this one, it's an identifying sign. It could be either one of those, but it's the word oath uh, or oath. Do you remember? We've talked about that the last two yeah. times. You remember that? Remember remember when God made the sun, the moon, and the stars? He made them for signs and for seasons. And signs was oath. And seasons was moedim, the very same word for feasts. Sign, banner, token, miracle. Uh Uh-huh. So what, what God put on Cain... Whatever it was, uh, it was an oath, and it meant, what what do you have again? Sign, banner, token, miracle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it means all of that. Um, I've got here, and it's the same thing, a sign, a distinguishing mark, a miraculous sign, and it's also a warning and a proof or an evidence. So whatever that would be, we don't know. Do you remember what was the root word for oath? Do you want me to show you? Mm-hmm. Look at you. Um, you go. Et. Uh, it's et. et. Look, I'll show you. It's the olive and the... Uh-huh. Is it olive? Uh-huh. It's olive and tom. Tom. So, look, here's what oath uh, looks like. You've got... Is that where we get the Greek word oath? Like, like a promise? Uh, I don't know. O-A-T-H. Maybe, because it's just, curious. just like that. Revelation 1 and 21 and 22. It's Jesus. He's the one he's saying, I am, uh, they have it translated as the Alpha and the Omega. (laughs) It would not have been correct because it is such a Jewish book. He would have used Hebrew. Um, Greek, it was only translated into Greek because it was the uh, language of commerce. Alexander the Great had conquered uh, so much of the world and had Hellenized them so that they understood Greek. So 
it could go more out into the world, they translated the New Testament into Greek. But the nuances are all still Hebrew mm -hmm. because it's still Jewish people who are writing it, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you remember in the book of Revelation, there are 22 chapters. Mm -hmm. Each one correlates to the 22 mm -hmm. letters of the Hebrew alphabet. You know, and there's, I think we were talking about, it's over 400 verses in the book of Revelation and uh, like around 300 or more, I don't remember the exact number, uh, goes straight back to the Old Testament Hebrew. Who was the writer of Revelation? John. John. Do you remember when we were looking at John 1, 1? From John 1, 1 through 14, you know, he's going right back to Genesis 4, 1, 1. You know, it's, it's like this complete Jewish understanding. And so Jesus would not, our Jewish Messiah, would not have said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> he would have said, I am the Aleph and I am the Tav. And he definitely is. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Amen. See, so you say I think it's strangely turned up identification mark mm -hmm. on Cain. What did they have? It says ancient rabbis taught that the mark of Cain was a horn that grew on his head. <laughs> strange. So he was a unicorn? That's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, silly rabbis. <laughs> 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 All right. So, uh, but God was merciful with Cain. And why was he merciful? Why do you think? It is his nature. Do you know what another thing was? We've talked about this over and over too. And I think it's Second Peter 3, 8, I believe either eight or nine, it talks about um, that it's not his will that any should perish, mm -hmm. that all should come to repentance. And so by giving him that mark, he is giving him the most amount of time to repent. And so he can influence his children and their children to repent. Now, he doesn't, <laughs> but God gave him the opportunity. One brother is in heaven and the other one isn't. No, no. I don't know. But he does not repent. We know that. So I would say most likely not. All right. So Genesis, let's go back to that, 4, 17 through 24. Methuselah became the father of Lamech. 
Lamech married two women, the first named Ada, and the second was Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal, who was the first of those who, to, who raised livestock and live in tents. His brother's name was Jubal, the first of all who played the harp and flute. Lamech's other wife, Zillah, gave birth to a son named Tubal-Cain. He became an expert in forging tools of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain had a sister named Mama. One day, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. So, I bet that's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of pride going on there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you have these different ones. Okay. You have some of the same names. Again, you have Enoch. Now, is this Enoch the same one? From Seth's line. No, no. no, this is not the one that walked with God and was no more. This is the one that has the books. No, no. Um, and then you have again Lamech, and uh, he was the father of Noah, but that is not this guy. It's a different guy. Cain's line, isn't it? Um, first. Well, that's the bad guy. Oh, no, 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 that's Ishmael. Ishmael. Yeah. Um, Abraham's uh, concubine, Hagar. This is mother. Yeah. All right. Now, first off, you can see that these people are not uh, like cave people. They are intelligent. Uh, they are innovative. They are um, coming up with all kinds of things. Uh, the one in particular, Tubal Cain, uh, you know, here is the first of blacksmiths who forged all kinds of bronze and iron tools, right? I, I know when they were looking at uh, Noah's Ark, one of the things that they were finding uh, in modern-day Turkey is where it is. They were finding rivets. It was put together with rivets which you would not think would have been in that time period. But this was definitely uh, going on at that time. And so God was giving them all kinds. Okay, think they're having extremely long lifespans. Mm -hmm. They have the canopy still in place, the water canopy. So the uh, oxygen, the uh, pressure they are having so much of an easier time being able to think, right, and to learn. Uh, there's no telling what all they were able to come up with, really. Well, they've already invented some um, musical instruments. Yeah. Okay, so when you're looking at these names, <laughs> they tell you things about them because they're prophetic, right? And uh, Enoch, actually his name, and even in Seth's line, his name is not Enoch. Uh, you know, like we were talking about Eve. Eve is Latin. 
her name was actually Hava. You know, uh, how it got stuck with Eve, I don't know, but it did. Uh, Enoch is actually, if you're looking at it, is Hanok. Uh, Hanok, if you say it right, get to put the guttural in there. Hanok, <laughs> uh huh, would be Enoch. And that's spelled C H A N O K. Hanok. And so in Hebrew, and his name means dedicated, initiated teaching. Um, Irod means fugitive. So you can see that coming. Oh, did you have what? See a witness, wild donkey, or fugitive. Oh, or Erod. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So it's telling you more about Cain, too, in his line. The next guy, how to say his name, Mahujael, whatever. You say it better than I would. Mahujael. Okay. It means smitten by God. Who would want to name their child smitten by God or fugitive? But they did because that's what was going on around them. Because a lot of times they would name their children according to what they were feeling. Um, yeah, Mahushael means who is of God or man who is of God. That is a lot like our name, Michael. Mm -hmm. uh, very much the same. Uh, Lamech means powerful. He's the one that's bragging so much. We're going to talk about him in a minute. Jabal is stream of water. Jubal is stream, which kind of goes with music. Mm -hmm. Why is he got a hyphenated name? Which one? Jubal Cain. Because his name means offspring of Cain. That's why. Now, look at the next one. We have a woman. Now, there has to be something unusual for her to be in the line mm -hmm. because they usually do not record women, right? Mm -hmm. And her name is Naama. Her name means loveliness or pleasantness, a lot like Naomi. Mm -hmm. um, here is what's important for her. According to Jewish writings, she became the wife of Noah. That same person. Mm -hmm. Wow. So they would name her because she's significant to the story. You said that was pleasantness? Pleasantness or uh, loveliness. Gracious. Uh, gracious. So because she's a wife of Noah, she would have been the mother of their three sons. Ham, Shem, Japheth, uh, survivor of the flood, you know, with Noah and her three sons and their wives. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of the child. She, so she was Tubalcan's sister. Uh huh. Which means she was Duval's sister. Well, half sister. Now it looks like, huh? Lamech was her father. And Lamech was Noah's father. But a different yes, Lamech. but different Lamechs. Yes. 
So they had the oh, same, they had, both of their fathers had the same name. Ooh, that's where I was going. Yes. I was like, Which meant powerful. <laughs> but, uh, and, and here's the thing. So Tubal Cain is the, uh, is her brother. And so would he have been able to help with Noah's Ark and put the rivets in? Mm-hmm. See the family going on there? Yeah. So, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, we're really about to get into Lamech because he's a little messed up. His line was gone. Now it looks like one of Cain's uh, descendants married Noah and mm-hmm. gave birth to three. Yeah, boys. him, Shem, so and Japheth. Yeah. He took both sides. He took. He did. Um, oh. One from Cain and one from Seth. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. It's true. Wow. Yeah. I yeah. It's actually really interesting when you get to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically. All right, so look at this. I thought this was interesting. This was from the Passion Translation, their commentary on Lamech, right? Okay, for one thing, we see him, he's the first polygamist. Because he, it's recorded anyway, because he's got two wives. Um, he is also the second murderer because he's telling you, he's bragging about his murder. And he's the first one in scripture to record a song. He's singing a song and it's his, his uh, boasting to his wives about how he killed people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that just sad? (laughs) But so here we are. Now, here's what this commentary is saying. The form of uh, verses 23 and 24 is the first example of poetry in the Bible known as parallelism. When parallelism is used all through the Bible. And what that is is basically where they're taking the same thought and giving it in two different ways. Almost like a double parable. Uh, Think about it that way. Um, yeah, anyway. All right. Uh, many Jewish scholars view this as the Song of Lamech, as a summary of a larger poetic composition describing the ex- exploits of Lamech. There is a Jewish legend that states that Lamech killed Cain. If Lamech was boasting that killing others will be his practice, he became the world's first terrorist. Hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, he's boasting that he's killed more than one, you know. So, and then if you remember from before, he was supposed to be the seventh from, um, yeah, well, from Cain. And so the curse was not upon him. So, I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm just saying that's something out there. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's look at Genesis 4, uh, 26 and tw- uh, through 20, 25 and 26. Okay. Um, passion has uh, the wives of them as dawn and dusk. Yeah, because that's what their names meant. Yeah. 
So we need some hope at the end of this chapter. <laughs> there has been no hope yet, right? And so these last two verses give us some hope. Adam had sexual relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him Seth. Or she said, God is granting me another son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. When Seth grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh. At the time people at that time people first began to worship the Lord by name. Okay. So the very last words, at least they're beginning to worship Yahweh. Uh, the Lord and pray to him, right? <laughs> All right. Um, so Adam and Eve, there has been some time go by because Abel is already dead and they conceived again. And Seth, it means appointed, right? And in their, uh, what they're thinking of is he was appointed uh, to replace Abel because Cain had killed him, right? Why? Why do you think, let's think about it in the grand scheme, because in the grand scheme, God used all of the names prophetically. And so what was Seth appointed to or for? He's not the redeemer. But I mean, they thought. Was going to they, yes, but you know what? You're actually right, and here's why I say that. It was through Seth's line that Jesus would come. And, and honestly, what the whole Bible is, is it is showing you what, okay, let's even back up further. The first two chapters of Scripture is God forming relationship with mankind. And then in the third chapter is when he gets messed up, right? That's when the enemy is introduced as a serpent. Okay, fast forward to Revelation. The third chapter from the end is when the enemy is put away for good. And so the last two chapters, uh-huh, they're bookends. The last two chapters of the book of Revelation, 21 and 22, everything is put right, and they're back in relationship again, if even restored. Because what was God's original intent? He made Eden for a relationship. And so from the third chapter of Genesis until the third to the last, uh, of Revelation is the story of what it would take to bring us back into a relationship. It's the whole thing. And it's telling you the lineage um, that's going to bring about Jesus. It's Jesus's book. It is all about who brought him. And it's foreshadowing through him uh, or about him throughout the whole thing. It is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Huh? It's like all of the It's like bare sheep, right? Absolutely beautiful. Um, Chris, bare sheep is the first word in Genesis 1 1. 
that word is a lot. We can have another hour just on that word. We can have a lot of time. But what I am saying is Bereshit, um, or, or Bereshit, you could even say that, yeah. It, in that one word, tells you the whole plan of salvation. All of it. I mean, you get a paragraph out of that one word, you know, of how Jesus would come and he would take, um, he would be on the cross. It even tells you what city he's going to do it in. It's that specific. And that's why in Isaiah, God could say, I told you the ending from the beginning, literally in the beginning, you know, <laughs> really cool. Huh? I told you so. Exactly. That is exactly what it is. Um, so what I have written here, I said these final verses offer a glimmer of hope. Eve had realized Cain was not their redeemer. I wonder how long it took him. <laughs> yeah. Instead, he had murdered her other son and had been banished from their land. She and Adam had had many sons and daughters after that. Yet here they prophetically named their son Seth, meaning appointed. She thought it was to replace Abel, but God had a much bigger plan. God had appointed him. It would be through his bloodline that Yeshua, the Messiah, would come. Uh, yet Seth ends up naming his son Enosh. Does anybody remember what Enosh means? Ah, y'all are cheating. <laughs> Uh huh. Mortal, frail. Okay, so by this point, there has been death. They're seeing, because remember when God made Adam and Eve and they were in Eden, they were supposed to live forever. They were never supposed to age. They were supposed to just keep going. It was through sin and um, the consequences that um, that mortality came into the picture. So Seth is understanding mortality. And so he names his son that way. And that actually is one of the names for man uh, in Hebrew is Enosh. Uh, means to be mortal. Uh, Seth humbly names his son Enosh. Mm -hmm. I think the reason that we don't get the names of Adam and Eve's other sons and daughters is because they weren't going to be part of the story. The mm -hmm. So like I said, is the he's the bloodline. His sister named us, she was the one that was going to marry Noah, so she gets mentioned where all the others don't get mentioned. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because it's all the story of Jesus, every single bit of it which is absolutely beautiful. The, the more you understand it, the more you see, and it's just like, wow, you know, absolutely beautiful. Um, so, so he names his son Enosh, which is man is mortal, weak, and frail, that he can die. Before his brother Abel, um, they had only seen death in animals being sacrificed. Abel's death was a harsh reality, showing that they had uh, they had been left they had left immortality in the garden. Now they would all die. 
We don't know how many years after Abel's death that Seth was born. Adam and Eve saw Seth as a gift after having Abel so abruptly ripped from them. Seth had heard about his death and the sharp contrast of life in the garden all his life from his parents. He realized human frailty and named his son accordingly. So next time, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, we can still talk, but I'm just saying next time what we're going to talk about uh, is the uh, pre-flood and Noah, uh, and we'll, we'll take a few times on Noah because it deserves it, yeah. Thank you for listening to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Las Casas Community Church. Be sure to like, share, follow, and leave a review for our podcast. And as always, if you have any questions, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to answer those for you. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.